And I want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians 5.23. This is a scripture that we looked at a few weeks ago. We were in the middle of a series called Total Sanctification. It was one that came in off our, our Q&A. People wanted to know. You may find these in your worship folders. If you've got questions that you want answered, you can submit one of these and you can be part of a series of messages where we're looking to the Bible to see uh, what the Bible says about the question that you ask. And one of the questions that was asked is, what is sanctification and when are we completely sanctified? Wonderful question because the word sanctification or the idea of it is not something that we talk about every day. It's not, it's not a word that we use every day. But as we have discussed this previously uh, a few weeks ago, uh, there's uh, the definition of the word sanctification. It's a pretty encompassing word, but the most basic meaning of it means to restore back to a state of proper functioning. It also means to be called out and to be set apart for a particular use. It also means to be declared or to be made holy. So this word sanctification has a lot of depth to it, but at the same time, it's important that we understand how this happens. And when will we ever, when will we be completely sanctified? How many people look forward to that day when we are totally 100% completely sanctified, created, recreated in the image of Christ? Well, that work has already begun in you, and he is faithful to complete the work he's begun. Amen? Look what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, your soul, and your body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the Bible teaches that we were created in God's image. And one of the ways that we're created in God's image is that we are created in his image by the fact that we are a triunion being. Just like God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there's three distinct parts to every person that shows up on the face of the earth. Every person is created in God's image by, to this degree that there's three distinct parts to each of us. We have a spirit, we have a soul, and we have a body. Everybody following me so far? Say amen. You can say amen to me. Okay. Now, Paul gives three distinct different Greek words to these different parts of our our being. He said, we have a spirit. The Greek word for that is pneuma. That's where we get the word pneumonia. This is the part of us that relates to God because God is spirit. That is the connection that we have to God. And it also defines our deepest sense of identity. What you are spiritually defines who you are and what you are. You're either alive to God or you're dead to God. See, so often we think that we're just this body walking around with some imaginations in it, when in fact we are a spiritual being that is being carried around in a physical body. We are a spiritual being first. Then he says that we have this soul, which is in the, the Greek, it's a word called suke. This is typically defined as the mind, the will, and the emotions. How I think, what I think about, what I desire, what I want, what I choose to do, and how I feel in my emotions. And then you have the body, which is a Greek word called the soma, which is actually this earth suit that carries around your spiritual being. And although every person is made up of these three parts, because of original sin, every person shows up on earth spiritually dead to God. That's kind of a terrible situation, would you agree? 
to be spiritually dead to God. That's how we show up here. We still have a spirit. We still have, we still have a, a soul. We still have a body. But because of original sin, we are separated from God. That's our spiritual inheritance from Adam. And so what we do is, because we have no input from God, because we have no connection to God, we live in this fallen world, and we have all these experiences in our life, and we have all this impulse that comes in from our sensory perceptors, and it creates this thing called our flesh. It's how you learn how to survive in this fallen world apart from God. But as born-again believers, the Bible tells us over and over that we are not to live by our flesh. We are supposed to learn how to live by the Spirit. Amen? This is very important. And it's through Christ, you can go to the next slide, it's through Christ the connection back to God has been restored. Through Christ, through the work on the cross and through our association in our relationship with Christ, we are made alive spiritually to God. It's through Christ we have this, now have this spiritual connection to God, the spiritual life that was lost. In the Greek, it's called Zoe. That spiritual life that has been lost has now been restored to us, and we are made spiritually alive to God, and our spirits have not only been made alive to God, it's through Christ our spirit has once for all been perfected, and our spirit has been totally sanctified in Jesus Christ. Many people do not realize this, that when you are in Christ, your spirit is as perfected it is as ever going to be. That's good news, amen? Because you know what? If your spirit wasn't perfect, the perfect Holy Spirit could not come and be one with you. 1 Corinthians six seventeen says, the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. It says that we are one spirit with the Holy Spirit. And Hebrews 10, verse 14 says, By one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Word of God says that we have been made by one sacrifice spiritually perfect forever while God's working on the rest of us. Amen? That's good news. God has made us perfect in our spirit while the rest of us is still being made holy. So God's total sanctification of our entire being begins with his work in our spirit, in our, in, our, what is, in our pneuma. But it doesn't stop there. Or at least it shouldn't. It shouldn't stop there. Because as we saw from the opening of Scripture, God is intent on sanctifying us completely, spirit, soul, and body. Today I want to talk about the sanctification of our souls. You know, the word soul, as I said, it's the word suke, and it is the seat of our, our feelings, our desires, our affections, and our aversions. The, it's defined that way by the Bible dictionary. But, you know, it's, in, in the Bible, the word suke is most often it's translated the word soul, but it also is translated as heart. It's translated as mind. It's translated as life. Jesus said, what does it profit a man that you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? He says, what does it profit you if you get everything you want, but you lose what you could become, the person that you could become in me? You messed that up in the process. So just as the spirit of the person defines 
who the person is or what the person is. The soul describes the person. Are you following me on this? The spirit defines the person. The soul describes the person. I want you to think about if I was to say, describe your, describe your spouse to me. Well, you, you may give some physical attributes. Well, they look this way. But you may say, well, well, they're real bubbly or they're real gruff. Or you end up describing their personality. Amen? And so the soul uh, is the seat of the personality. And that encompasses all sorts of things. It encompasses personality traits, some of which are genetically hardwired. Do you know you are the way you are sometimes just because God made you that way? You know, there's, there's, things that, <laughs> there's things that irritate me about my wife, but I have a son that's just like my wife, and I see him, I said, oh, it's just hardwired. That's just how they're wired, right? does the exact same thing. And it's just genetically passed on. It's just genetically hardwired. So our, our soul encompasses our personality and the things that are genetically hardwired in us, but it also encompasses learned behavior, how we learned how to cope in this world apart from God. It, it deals with, you know, the environmental conditioning, the environment in which we were brought up and we grew up in. And all of these things play a part in shaping our souls and creating the persons that we have become. But Jesus doesn't want to leave us there, does he? He wants to change the person that you become apart from him into the person who you should be in him. Amen? So all these things have played a part in, in creating the soul. And it, the soul is usually described as a combination of the mind the emotions, and the will. I want you to think about those three things because just as we are a three-part being with a spirit, a soul, and a body, our soul in itself has three parts. It has our, our, our mind, our emotions, and our will. Our mind, how I think about things, what I think about. It deals with how I feel about certain things and the, the will, what I want to do and, and what I choose to do. And this is the second part of our being that God wants to sanctify from the Spirit. As I said before, unfortunately, it is the combination of our soul and our body living in a fallen world separated from the life of God that creates what's called our flesh. How many people have heard that term, the flesh, in the Bible? This is how you learn how to make life work apart from God. And this comes from our body and our souls. We perceive things. We live in a fallen world and we have impulse coming into us. But now as, and, and as believers, as unbelievers, we had no choice but to live by the flesh. We had no spirit in us. We could not live by the spirit. We could only live by the flesh. But when you become born again, when you become a believer, we now have a new source of input, a new source of life available to us through that reborn, renewed, and regenerated spirit that is one with the Holy Spirit that wants to permeate into the rest of your being. If you could think of it this way, before God, you lived with all this, all these experiences and all these things happened to you. Things felt good, things felt bad, things made you feel bad, things tasted good, smelled good, this tasted bad, this smelled And you had all these things that created your flesh on how to live in this fallen world, and everything was from the outside in, and that shaped your personality. Amen? Anybody following me? 
But when you have the Spirit of God, now you have this entire new source of life in you that's wanting to come out and begin to reshape your soul. It's wanting to begin to recreate your mind, your will, your emotions, how you think, what you think about, how you deal things with emotionally, how, what you choose to do in your life. And it's wanting to get out. It's wanting to permeate. And it wants to sanctify that next level of your being your soul, and we have that available to us because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And the Holy Spirit wants to permeate into the rest of our being, transforming and changing us from the inside out, from what we once were, sanctifying not only our souls, but our souls, that it permeates not only into our souls, the way we think, feel, and the way we uh, choose to do, but also into the deeds that we do in the body. Now, you may say, well, how does this happen? How does this happen? Well, if you remember a few weeks ago when I talked about guarding your heart, and I said this, and I'm sure most of you will agree with you know, how we think and what we believe to be true affects how we feel emotionally. Would you agree with that? Would you agree with that? How we think and what we think about and what we believe to be true affects us emotionally. Now, let me ask you another thing. Do you think how we feel emotionally affects the actions that we do in the body? Would you agree? I, how we think affects how we feel. How we feel affects what we do. You know, I, I've given the analogy before. Let's say you're someone and you're wanting to buy a car or you're wanting to buy a house and you've got that 800-plus credit rating, that FICA score, right? Worship at the, the altar of the fire. And you got 800 plus, and you've got your loan application in, and something happens. You know, the loan officer calls you, and they tell you that they've call, they're calling you to, to tell you that your loan is approved. And, uh, but something happens in the communication of the phone, like the phone breaks up, and you miss a turn. You hear them say that your loan wasn't approved. Okay, if you've got an 800 FICA score, and then someone calls you and says, I'm sorry, your loan's not approved. How are you going to feel about that? Huh? You're going to be upset. And what are you going to do? Right? And you may not talk to that loan officer as nice as you would if you thought that you got approved. So you go, you call, well, this is Mr. McCoy. I got an 800, blah, blah, blah. You know, I got an 800 FICA score. What do you mean my, my loan didn't get approved? Oh, no, no, I'm sorry, Mr. McCoy. No, your loan got approved. Oh, okay. Okay, everything's fine then, right? I'm not telling you to go out and get debt. This is just an analogy. But because my perception of truth was as I got turned down, I got emotional about it, and how I got emotional about it made me act a certain way. And this is the reality. This is the connection of the kind of intricate, complicated beings we are. Because how we think affects how we feel, right? And how we feel affects what we do. I've seen people do some pretty stupid things because they are emotionally engaged in something. I knew a man that was in ministry one time, and he ended up in an affair with his worship leader, who was a lady. And they were both from different marriages. And even when it came out and the elders approached them, they still went ahead and got married. I said, how would you do that? How would you go ahead and just break up two marriages and... 
And it, what it simply was this, the emotions were engaged and the decisions were made because they were already on that emotional slide. We do some stupid stuff when our emotions aren't right, don't we? Right? So let me ask you, this in regards to the sanctification of our souls, it can't start with our emotions, can it? I don't know anybody that can feel their way into godly behavior. How about you? You know, it's like when you're sitting on the couch and you got that pile of dishes in the kitchen sink and you're just waiting for that dishwashing feeling to come over you right before you go do it. As soon as that dishwashing feeling comes over me or that garage cleaning feeling for the guys, I'll go out and do it. It doesn't start with our feelings. Now, there are times when you can do the right thing because of your willpower, right? You, you can muscle it down. Even though I don't want to do this, I'm going to do the, the right thing. And, and, and you can choose to do the right thing simply because you've got good, strong willpower. But saints, I want us to hear something today. Willpower is not the same thing as spiritual power. It looks good at times. But you need to remember the will is still part of the soul. Willpower is not the same thing as the Holy Spirit power in you. And if you're relying on willpower to live a sanctified life, you are going to find that you're walking around typically in a win-some-lose-some scenario. More often than not, you're going to lose. Because the Bible talks about the flesh and the spirit are enmity. They're at, they're, they're, they're at war, with, and it says anytime they're at conflict, you find yourself doing the very thing you don't want to do. So this willpower, you may win a battle every now and then, but for the most part, we're not going to overcome. We're not going to live a sanctified life just sheerly by willpower. So where does this sanctification begin? The sanctification of our souls must begin with the mind and God changing our system of truth and renewing how we think. I cannot stress that over I cannot stress that enough. If we want to truly live a sanctified life, if we want God to sanctify our souls, it's got to begin with the renewing of our minds. Look what it says in Romans 8, 5 and 7. It says, those who live according to the flesh, these are people that are, are living by their flesh, okay? They're, they're living just like they they did before they knew God because they're just getting through life by their flesh. It says those who live according to the flesh, what's the problem? It says they have their mind set on what the flesh wants to do. They, want, they have their mind set on how the flesh is going to handle situations in life. And it says, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit wants to do and how the Holy Spirit wants you to handle things. It says, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life. Not only life, but it's also peace. How many people could use some peace? Okay? It says, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God, and it says, it does not submit to God, nor can it do so. It says that if, if, if our mind is set on the flesh, it's, that it can, it's not only hostile, it cannot please God, it has no ability to because it's still thinking according to the flesh. 
Paul also writes in Ephesians 4, he says, you were, you, were, you were taught in regard to your former way of life to put off the old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. How many people want to get rid of that old self, right? I, I don't want to live like I used to live. I don't want to live like the old man because the old man died with Christ, amen? He's gone, he's dead. So why should I, now that I'm a new creature, why should I continue to live? Well, it gives us, it says right here, it says to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And then it says, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You have to be renewed in the attitude of your mind before you can live out the new righteousness and holiness. You have to be. The mind has, the sanctification process has to begin in the thought process in our minds. Romans 12, 2, many of you have probably heard this. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of what? You're going to be changed. You're going to be transformed. You will be transformed and changed by the renewing of your minds. And it says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How many people want to know the will of God? I do. I want to know what he's given me. I want to know what he has available for me. I want to know what his design, his plan is for my life. So in order for this sanctification of the souls, the spirit has been sanctified. It has been saved. It has been perfected. But our souls are being sanctified and being saved and are being perfected. And in order for this process to happen, to be changed and transferred transformed into the likeness and the image of the person of Christ that we're not living like the person we were before, there must be first a renewing of our minds. That means I've, I've, got, to, I've got to change what I believe is true. Amen? I've got to, you know, it, it encompasses how I perceive things, how I interpret things, how I process thoughts, what I think about, what I let my mind dwell on. Because if we continue living with old thought patterns, anybody ever heard the term stinking thinking? Anybody ever heard that? If you just continue to live with stinking thinking, old thought patterns, I'm talking about cynical, negative, critical, defeatist, sinful, lustful, worldly ways of thinking, we cannot expect to experience a sanctified life. So if we're going to experience the perfecting and the sanctification of our souls, it has to begin with the mind, how we think. And there's a few things I want us to, three things I want to talk about today. I want us to really be able to take home and think about these things. The first thing is the mind needs to be renewed. It has to be renewed in truth. Not opinion, but in truth. Amen? Everybody's got an opinion, right? It's like a belly button. They all stink. And they're all full of fluff and lint. You're supposed to laugh at that. <laughs> Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, the, night, the last night he spent with his disciples before his crucifixion, he's praying for them, and he says these words. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth is going to what set you free from the old way of living. That's what's going to set you free. And God has made available sources 
of truth to those that have been born again, that have the perfected spirit, the regenerated spirit, he, so by which our minds are renewed. The very first one is the word of truth. How many people know God's word is pretty important? Would you agree with that? In the same passage of scripture, Jesus said in John 17, 16 through 17, he says, he says about his disciples, he said, they are not of the world even though as I am not of the world. So if we're not of the world, should we live like the world? If we're not of the world... If I'm an alien here, I, don't, I shouldn't have to live like the world. We're not of the world. He says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. He said, sanctify them by the truth. And he said, your word is truth. More so than opinion, more important than opinion is what this book has to say in regards to life and godliness. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 4.12. I, lo I love this passage. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, and it penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit. And it says the word of God is what differentiates between what is soulish and what is truly spiritual. We are not called to live by our souls, are we? We're not called to live by our flesh. We're called to live by the Spirit of God. And it says that the Word of God is this living two-edged sword, and that the Word of God is actually something that is living, and that it, it, it divides. It divides what is soulish, how I think, how I feel, what I want. It divides from what is truly spiritual. The Word of God does that for us. There's too many Christians walking around living, thinking they're spiritual, and they're living soulish just because they're emotional. Amen? What we need to ask ourselves is, you know, I think about how many people, how many people, you always hear, well, the way I see it, well, the way I reckon things, well, the way I feel about it, do, you not, do we realize that doesn't matter? Do we realize that? The way you figure things don't matter. I'm sorry, doesn't matter. The way you feel about it doesn't matter. The way you reckon it in your intellect, the way you, well, you know, I think about, think about the stupid things. Anybody ever done anything really stupid? And after you did it, going, oh, I don't know what I was thinking. That's exactly the truth. You weren't. At least not thinking about the truth. You know, we all have opinions about God. <laughs> what does this say about God? I got people telling me, oh, you know, Jews and Muslims, and we all worship the same God. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, we don't. I would worship the one true living God, and everybody else is wrong. I'm sorry. I don't apologize for that. Amen? Jesus is Lord. He's King of kings and Lord of lords, and you can either pay now or you pay later. You can either bow your knee now and confess him as Lord, or you will someday by force. Amen? It says that he will come and every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. So, you know, my opinion of who God is and what God, it does not matter. What does the Bible say about God? Amen? He is the source of authority and power. He's the only source of eternal truth, only source of life. There is no life outside of Christ. 
Like with his, his disciples, he said, had a bunch of people bail on him because he was teaching a hard teaching. He turns to his disciples. He said, you're going to leave me too? They go, where else are we going to go? Who else has the words of life? You're the son of God. What does the Bible say about God? What does the Bible have to say about who you are in Christ? You ever think about that? I see people, I've heard, heard, I hear people say, well, I just want to make the Father proud of me. Good luck on that treadmill. The Bible says that God looked at Jesus after he came out of the water, hadn't done a miracle, hadn't done one thing, hadn't done one thing hadn't, in his ministry yet. He looked at him and said, this is my son who I love and who I am well pleased. And when he looks at you in Christ, that's the same words he says about you. It's who I love. I'm pleased with you. You don't have to try to make me proud. What you need to do is let me lead you. Let me sanctify you. Let me cleanse you by my word and by my truth. What does the Bible say about who you are in Christ? What does the Bible say about how God sees you? What does the Bible say about your actions? Well, we're doing it this way because we figure, you know, we, we figure I, okay, what does the Bible say about it? What about life and godliness? It says that we've been given great and precious promises. Everything that we need for life and godliness has been given to us in Jesus Christ. So if we're going to have our souls sanctified, if we're going to be transformed into a different person, if we're going to be transformed into this person of Christ, we've got to accept a new system of truth other than our own opinions, our own recollections, our own intellects, our own emotions. So we have the Word of God made available to us, but we also have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth that's made, made available, that lives in us. Most evangelical Christians do not realize that the Holy Spirit is to be the governing agent of the New Testament believer and that the Holy Spirit will always confirm the Word of God to you. He will never contradict the Word of God. He will always, always, always confirm the Word of God to you, but that is the governing agent of the New Testament believer. That's why we have the indwelling of the Spirit to lead us. Jesus said on that very same night with his disciples, he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to be the Spirit of all truth, and he's going to lead you into all what? Truth. He's going to be the one that's going to reveal truth. He's going to lead you into truth. He's going to make known to you the things of God. Look what it says here in 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 2. I know this is a long passage of Scripture. I'm going to read it fast. It says, The Holy Spirit, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but we have received the spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. And this is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual, spiritual realities with spiritual taught words. It says, the man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand because they are only discerned through the spirit. I remember one time when I was working at Starbucks. And you know, if you work at Starbucks, you work at a whole assortment of people. Anybody ever been to Starbucks? It's like working at Whole Foods. 
You got Satanists, you got pagans, you got Wiccans, you got, you got the whole, and I remember this one friend of mine, and I say friend because we were good friends, he was a, living a homosexual lifestyle, and I was in Bible college, and I was telling him that I was abstaining from sexual intimacy until I got married. And he says to me, he goes, well, that's not normal. And I said, I can't let you determine for me what's normal. Amen? He said, that was, that was just his odd, the fact that I would not be having sex, that I'd be waiting for my wife and waiting till I got married was just as odd to him as could be. Why? Because he did not have the spirit. The things of the spirit are foolishness to the man that doesn't have the spirit. And the Holy Spirit reveals these truths to us that these are valid truths. These are things that we need to embrace. I need to think, I, that, believe me, I didn't always think that way. But it was the spirit that lived in me that taught me this new truth by the renewing of my mind, transformed my reactions, my actions in the body. It says the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit, but considers them foolishness. He cannot understand them because they're only spiritually discerned. The spirit, the person with the spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. It says, for who has known the mind of the Lord? So as to instruct him, it says, but we have the mind of Christ. The Bible tells us that you not only have the spirit of Christ, but because you have the spirit of Christ, you now have the mind of Christ available to you. We can know have a new system of truth, and we can know in our spirits and in our hearts and the, inter the deepest level of our beings what is really truth because the Holy Spirit wants to reveal it to us. He's not hiding. He <laughs> His revelation is not, he's not wanting to hide something back from you. He willingly wants you to know the things of God and what God has for you. And if we don't, then it, it, there's the, the, either either... We don't have that spirit or there's some disconnect there that we're not listening. Because he has given us the spirit. Not only do we have the spirit of Christ, but we also have the mind of Christ. So we are being created in his image. So our minds, if we're going to experience the sanctification of our souls, it begins with our minds have to be renewed in truth. We've got to be able to say, I'm not, living un I'm not going to live under what is the old truth because it doesn't make sense to me. Now I have a new system of truth which comes from God's word that's confirmed by God's spirit, and that's what's going to determine how I'm going to think. Amen? Everybody follow me? So it's important that our mind must be renewed by the truth, but our mind also must be exercised in obedience. You may say, what are you talking about, Pastor? Our thought life must succumb to the lordship of Christ to experience his, sanctif his sanctification of our souls. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that come in this little box up here, isn't there? And most of us think that that's our, that's our own business. What happens in these, these four walls is, is my business. No, that's, that's really God's business. And there's all sorts of thoughts. There's, there's various sources. You have the enemy that can suggest things to us. You have ourselves where we just, we just regurgitate bad thoughts. We think about negative things over and over. We've trained ourselves to do that. We have our past. We have our present realities. We have the world. We have all these voices speaking at us. And even though not all these things are from ourselves, 
the solution to all these things are still the same. And Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5, it says, we fight with weapons that are different than the world uses. And our weapons have the power from God that can destroy the enemy's strong places. It can demolish strongholds. And it says, we destroy people's arguments and every proud thing that raises itself against the knowledge of Christ. We capture every thought and we give it up and make it obey Christ. We have to practice that. That is something that we, we need to exercise our mind in obedience. It doesn't matter if it's just self-talk, if it's lies from the enemy, if it's the deception of the world, if it is the things that's going on in our present reality or memories from the past, or if it's just my imagination running away with me. It doesn't matter because the Word of God tells us We need to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. If we have thoughts that come into our mind that do not align up with the word of God, this idea of taking captive is grabbing this thought by the back of the shoulders and shoving it down before Christ and making it obedient to Christ. We have to practice that. So if you've got thoughts that are coming into your mind that are not not in line with what the truth of God says, you need to make those things bow before Jesus Christ. You need to take those things captive. You know, you have a lustful thought. Is that of God? No. I can't. I program my mind to think like that, but I'm going to grab it, and I'm going to take it, I'm going to shove it down to its knees and make it obedient to Christ. It's not always the easiest thing to do, is it? We can just let our imaginations run wild, right? Running away with me. God says, I want you to take every thought. I want you to bring it to the obedience of Christ. So our minds, we have to accept a new system of truth. Our mind also must be exercised in obedience. And not only that, our mind must be set on the right things. We need to set our minds on the right things. Paul writes this in Philippians 4. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, there's truth right there, amen? Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there's anything worthy of praise, it says think about those things. Let me ask you something. If you, if you kept driving home and you kept just out of habit, you always went this way, and you're just driving home, and every time you drive home you go through a bad neighborhood and you get carjacked and you get mugged, what are you, are you going to keep driving home that way? I don't know what's wrong. You know, doctor, it hurts when I move my arm like this. Well, don't move your arm like this, okay? Every time I drive down that neighborhood, I, I, I get jacked. I get carjacked. And they pull me out of my car and they mug me. Well, why do you keep going that way? Well, that's just how I've always gone. Right? That's just where... And you know what? So many of us are getting spiritually hijacked because we just, that's where my mind is just always gone. You ever heard, get your mind out of the gutter? Get your mind out of the ghetto. If you're in a neighborhood that's not good for you spiritually, get out of it. 
Set your mind, if you, if you got impure thoughts or, or bitter thoughts or angry thoughts or defeatist thoughts, think on that which is good, that which is true, that which is pure, that which is holy, that which is worthy of praise. Take your mind out of the ghetto, get it out of that neighborhood and put it in a different neighborhood. Be proactive. And don't keep crying about why, why am I getting spiritually mud? You gotta why I I gotta take my mind and I gotta put it on what is true. I gotta think about God's truth. Well, I'm alone. I'm so lonely. Jesus said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. There's at least two of us here. And at least one third of me is pure Holy Spirit. Amen. Nobody loves me. God demonstrated his love in this. Well, I was still a sinner. Christ died. For me so that I can have real life. I'll say it again. What you feel emotionally is going to be based on what you perceive to be truth. Amen? And what your thought life consists on and what you let your mind dwell on. And I may have to get my mind out of that neighborhood if I want to experience the peace of God. You know, back in Romans 8, 6, it says, the mindset on the flesh is death. It says, it says it's death. But it says the mind that's set on the spirit is not only life, but it's also peace. How many people could use some peace? You know, we give life so often to the, the things that torment us by our, the very words we speak ourselves. Maybe I need to be uttering about the goodness of God and what he's done for me as opposed to verbalizing. Maybe in, 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 I need to be uttering those things as I go through the problems of life. You know, we're all still going to have problems, amen? We're all going to have trials. You're all going to have Things that are going to come against you, you're going to, we're still, we still live in a world where people get sick. Bodies are not yet sanctified. But the Word of God says, if my mind is set on the Spirit, I'm not only going to experience the life that Christ has for me, I'm also going to experience peace through those situations. Isaiah 26.3 says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. I had a situation come up just the other day, just came out of, out of the blue, and I wasn't expecting it. And I immediately, my heart immediately got gripped with stress of how am I going to handle this? And God says, I've taken you through much more than this before. As opposed to thinking about what you're going through right now, why don't you think about what I've brought you through, what I've done for you over and over and over in the past. And you know what? My problem didn't go away, but peace did come to me. Peace did come to me and go, you know what? <laughs> my God's so much bigger than my problem right now. And because I know that, because I'm thinking about that, because I'm not going to just let my mind run where, it, you know, I have this, I have this tendency, I, I, I always create the worst case scenario. Something goes wrong and I'm like, okay, this is what's going to happen because of this. And I just project it and I project. And God says, no, let me, let me pull you back in here, son. Set your mind on me. I'll give you peace to walk through this. And if we have that emotional peace, 
then we'll be willing and able to follow the Spirit's leading in how we act it out, how we live it out. If you think about Jesus being in the Garden of Gethsemane, it said that he cried out to God in anguish and tears. Do you understand that Christ was pretty emotional at that point? But it says that he cried out to the one that was able to save him. And that because of what he knew about his father, he knew all things were possible, he was able to continue walking forward to the cross that he was called, which meant salvation for all of us. So if we're going to experience the sanctification of our souls, God has perfected our spirits. He's, he's perfected once for all while he's working on the rest of us, while we are being made holy. That as our minds are renewed, our emotions, even though they are still going to be there, they will come in line under the truth of God and we will be able to act out in the deeds of the body and of the flesh as the Spirit would have us to lead. You know, the, the Word of God says this, that if we would just simply follow the leading of the Spirit, we would not fulfill the deeds of the flesh. It's that simple. But do you know enough about God to trust Him? Do you know that He loves you? Do you know that He's got His best for you, His best intent? I wrote in closing, with our minds renewed by God's truth and our emotions covered by His peace, we can willingly submit to the Lordship of Christ, the leading of his Spirit perfecting us in regards to the deeds done in the body, working out the full sanctification of our souls, and continually perfecting our soul is an expression of the complete perfection of our spirits. What he wants to do in your mind, in your will, in your emotions is an expression of what he's already done in your spirit. That's what he wants to do. He wants the power of the spirit to begin to permeate every aspect of your life, how you think, how you feel, and what you choose to do. I don't want to live like I used to because I know it's not consistent with the spirit that lives in me. But my mind must be renewed. I'd ask that you bow your heads right now.